Good evening, everybody. Good to see all of you. Hope you can hear me. Yes, Pastor. Good, good. Okay. <clears throat> Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, you are our God. We are your children. Thank you for the word of God that you have given us, O oh Lord. Open our eyes to see the wonders in the word of God. Strengthen us, encourage us, convict us, correct us. Keep us under your wings, O oh Lord. Holy Spirit, you take control of the complete session. Minister to each one of us in a way we can understand, in a way we can grow in our relationship with you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Today we are in uh, Psalm 6. Uh, Psalm 6 is basically a prayer in sickness. So even before we go further, I just want to ask a question. Is it right to pray, God, what are, what are you doing? As innocent people, children are being killed. In other words, as people are suffering, oh God, what are you doing? Uh, is it right to pray like that? Or is it right to say, oh God, where are you? Where are you? You can unmute yourself and you can ask, uh, you can answer these questions. And uh, we, I'm not going to answer these questions. We are going to study the Psalm and try to find out uh, what, what is the answer. <clears throat> I think I think yes because uh, I think God understands us and uh, there's nothing you know we have our doubts in our low moments I mean even Jesus himself he knew why he was here and everything but even at his lowest moment he said my God my God why have you forsaken me so he was almost there and he has that to his father so I think um, God is big enough to understand our sufferings and our feelings and emotions and we are I think we are uh, it's okay to ask uh, okay, and have the doubt <clears throat> it's okay to ask okay others so pastor we always feel that God is in control of all the situation but when we see the uh, situations are out of control without knowing us we just ask God God where are you uh, you, are, you are looking into all the situations, but still, why are you not um, acting? Why are you not taking any action? So it is just not that uh, we know that Jesus can do anything. God can do anything. Uh, but still, out of our anxiety, out of our anxious, we just ask God, God, where are you? Okay. Okay. Thank you, Nirma. <clears throat> Others? God is an all-knowing God, all-powerful God. You know, he's all-wise. So can we ask God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Can we ask that question? Is it okay to ask? 
Uh, we heard from Julie and Nirma, others. Would you like to answer? Okay, if you don't want to answer. <clears throat> uh, Nirma and Julie, uh, both of you have answered that question. Uh, can you say on what basis we can ask this question? Uh, you're right, we can ask God, what are you doing? Where are you God? But uh, can you just explain on, based on what we are asking this question? Because we depend on him, because we believe him that whenever we are in trouble, he's there to help us. But still, when we don't see him, uh, when we don't uh, see that, okay, things are not changing, we are still in distress and all that. Okay. okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's what, we'll be, that's what we'll be studying. Yes, Julie, go ahead. I think also if you look at throughout the Bible, uh, Everybody has, especially because we are doing the Psalms. David has always cried out. He's also asked God to uh, not only do things for him. He's also asked him, asked God to, okay, you you know, kill this person or do this, asking God to to do whatever he wanted. So we also have examples in the Bible, I think, where you know we've seen all this. Um, so I think, you know, and that's what we go by, you know, and like I said, I think Jesus also had his crying out moments to his father. So I think, uh, I just think, so that's why we, we are also able to do that. And our God is, I think, um, big enough uh, to accept that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the inputs. Uh, we are going to study this psalm and uh, we will also see the answers for these questions. Now, Psalm 6, as I said, um, Psalm is basically a poetry. So if it's a poem, then there'll be a dramatic description. Now, in Psalm 6, what we have is a dramatic description of physical pain and suffering. So whenever we have pain and suffering, uh, it always leads to emotional distress. So this psalm is teaching us how to put emotional distress to good effect. Uh, there is real physical pain, there is real physical suffering. So because of this, uh, the resulting emotional distress, how can we put this resulting emotional distress to good effect? That's what we learn from this psalm. Now, <clears throat> Since we are all familiar with the book of Psalm, uh, when we read the book of Psalm, uh, like we heard that, you know, David always keeps crying, you kill that person, why you really me, they deliver me, like that. Uh, especially the first three books, there are five books. The first three books, that is from Psalm 1 to Psalm 89, <clears throat> we find uh, many laments. You know, it is a cry of sorrow and grief. And uh, it, it almost gives us the impression the psalmists are always hurting. They are hurting people. They are always in trouble. They are always struggling. Uh, <clears throat> at the same time, they are also so demanding. They are asking God, give us deliverance. Oh God, you compensate us. 
you vindicate us, you destroy our enemies. This is the message that we seem to get from the first three books of Psalm. So sometime uh, young people may ask after reading this book, where is the joy in the believer's life? If this is what every time if you have to cry, then where is the joy in the believer's life? It's true because the Psalms as such, if you read, that's the impression we get. <clears throat> now, what is important for us to understand is the world in which they were living and the world in which we are living, both are totally different. And it is important for us to keep that in mind because if we try to read the Psalms from our world context, then we are not going to understand the Psalms at all. <clears throat> uh, the world in which they lived was filled with danger and threat, pain and suffering, attack and oppression. That's the kind of world in which they lived. You know, they all knew about war, plague, famine, and high infant mortality. You know, now, even in my days in 50s, uh, pregnancy was considered as a risky thing. And, uh, you know, off late, it is no longer considered as a uh, as danger at all uh, because of the improvement in the medical world. But in the time of uh, psalmist, you know, there was high infant mortality. Uh, why I'm saying all this is the average life expectancy during good times was about 40 years. That was the average life expectancy during good times. I'm not talking about bad times. I'm talking about good times. People, people's life expectancy was just 40 years. Uh, that's why in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, we always, when they talk about a generation, a generation is considered as 40 years, then the next generation. That's why when we find in Psalm 90, 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. And we think it's probably for us. Uh, it's good, okay, <clears throat> we can take it for us. But remember, when the psalmist wrote this, it is only few people who lived 70 or 80. Most of the people died in their infancy itself. So when the psalmist is writing, our days may come to 70 years or 80, it is not normative. It is not the normal uh, age of everyone in that society. It's very few people who lived up to that age. <clears throat> uh, the infant mortality was very high during those times. Uh, that was in good times. Now, what happens in bad times? In bad periods of famine, drought, and plague, they all, you know, it was an agrarian society. They depended on rain. When there were no rains, drought was there, sickness was there. People died in large numbers. So, 
when the days were bad, the average life expectancy could drop as low as 18 years. Now, death, whether it is in the, uh, whether in Psalms time or in our time, it's a very painful thing. Imagine people are dying in home just 16 years, 17 years. They're just dying. So can you understand the pain, the struggles that they undergo and the kind of pathos, the emotions the Psalmist had? It's not only King David, others who have composed the Psalms. You know, the kind of pain when people came to worship God, you know, the kind of problems, the kind of pain, the kind of emotional distress that they were undergoing. Can you imagine that? This, is, this was the situation that they were experiencing. So the psalmist is not only praying for the individual or personal or even society suffering. You know, uh, we generally feel, oh God, you are there to release us come deliver us. Where are you when we go through these problems? Now, Psalmist is not crying only because he is going through the sickness and his problem, or in the society, there is so much of pain and all. What he feels is there is something wrong now. You know, little children are dying. Young people are dying. There is something wrong in this world because the world that God created, that's a, a world created by Yahweh, it appears as though God is not in control. God seems to have lost control of the world he has created because there is so much of suffering, so much of pain, there is so much of injustice, oppression, and death. This is the question that's haunting them. You know, this world was not supposed to be like this. You know, this is not right. That is the approach they had. You know, life was not just difficult. It was not only painful. It was also very, very wrong. This is the impression they had. So when we are reading this laments, when we are reading this psalm, we should understand their mindset. Their mindset was not that you deliver me. You know, it is coming out of their heart. In their heart, they're feeling, oh God, you're a good God, but this is not the way you created the world something is wrong and this is not the way the world is supposed to be. Now, if this is the kind of worldview we are supposed to have because if we don't have this kind of worldview, you know, now many of us, what, you know, we have come to a, uh, place where we say, um, you know, there is so much of evil in the world, what to do, you have to withstand, you have to suffer. I hope you can identify with what I'm saying. 
we we have almost come to that place when there is injustice also oh, what to do this world is a broken world you may have to live like this we all have endured problems you too have to endure problem <clears throat> now when we take an approach like this there's no place for prayer there is a place for prayer when we are personally suffering when we are having pain in our body when our close family members are suffering then we may say prayer but otherwise there is no place for prayer the simple reason being we have accepted this is the way the world is and the world will be but the psalmist is saying he is not having this kind of world view the world view is taking is a very tough world view the world view that he says is you know god the world as we have is not the world as it should be god did not create a world like this so if god did not create a world like this then what is the next thing the world is broken and needs divine help to restore it the moment we say that you know you know in this world you have to undergo the suffering everybody is undergoing suffering you know that's that is not uh, the world view that the psalmist they took they had a very tough world view and that is the kind of world view we should also take that this is not the way the world, this is not the way or this is not the world god created when god created everything was good and it was very good something has gone wrong so we cry out to god god this is not the way you have created you know if we take this world view we'll be able to pray and we will be able to walk with the people who are undergoing pain otherwise we we are so heartless i'm sorry to say people in the church can become pastors can become heartless i can be heartless people in the church can be heartless when somebody else is going through the pain we can say oh it's okay just be bold you know you be strong we'll pray you'll become all right you know that is that is lack of empathy uh, we are not you know we are minimizing the people's pain so the psalmist is saying he knows that he calls suffering as suffering somebody is in pain he calls it as pain somebody is being oppressed he calls it as injustice he is not trying to gloss over like us saying that what to do we have to wait for the second coming of jesus then the world will become all right you know <clears throat> so his struggle he is now in a battle with god saying that god this is not the way the world you created you come lord you alone can fix this world you need to restore it it is from that mind his prayer also comes remember the psalmist is not so unrealistic or he is not so naive uh, that he thinks that 
restoration will magically happen. No, he doesn't have that kind of feeling too. But one thing he knows, this is not the world. This is not the way God created this world. And it is not supposed to be like this. Uh, I want all of us to keep this in mind because when we study all the Psalms, this background is important. Uh, does it help you? You can unmute and answer. Does it, uh, does this worldview uh, helps us to pray better? Yes, Pastor. Thank you, Sister Jabba Yes, Pastor. Yes, yeah. Pastor. Yeah. Yes, Pastor. Thank you. Uh, so this is the kind of worldview we are supposed to have. And it is from this worldview we are studying Psalm chapter 6. We should go into their world. You know, people, children died of diarrhea. Millions of children died of diarrhea before they found a small concoction of salt and sugar. You go and read the literature, you will find out millions and millions of children died. So now we are in a different place. So now if we think this is the kind of world even they had, then we don't understand their pain, their struggles, but the worldview that they had we are also supposed to have because it's the word of God. When we have that worldview, it gives us strength. It gives us confidence. So the first three verses says, it is basically, it's a cry of suffering, agony, distress. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? <clears throat> you know, from this, uh, from this place we can make out, he, the psalmist is in some kind of physical illness. There is some kind of pain. Not only he's having some pain, you know, spiritually or in his inner being, he's troubled. That we can make out by reading the psalm. He has become weak. He has become weak and feeble because he says, for I am faint. Now, this psalm, if you read again and again, you cannot make out you know, the kind of sickness that he was suffering from. It is not mentioned. So we, we cannot make out whether, you know, what is the nature of his physical illness, what was happening. Uh, but there is something he says, do not rebuke me in your anger and discipline me in your wrath. We'll come to that. But what we can make out is, you know, he was in trouble physically because bo my bones are in agony. That means physically he was struggling and also spiritually or internally, my soul is in deep anguish. 
so his inner being is weak he externally his body is also weak and he is struggling <clears throat> but before he said this you know my bones are in agony my soul is in deep anguish he begins his prayer like lord do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath uh, probably uh, one way of understanding the psalm maybe he probably feels he is struggling or he is suffering because of his sin even sin is not mentioned in the psalm nowhere any particular sin is mentioned because the very first word is lord do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath maybe he is thinking uh, in the ancient world people always associated sickness with sin if somebody is suffering he is sinful uh, that's the kind of understanding they had but that's not the right understanding uh, the kind you know the the biblical culture is not godly culture when we read the bible we should be very clear we should be able to segregate bible culture from godly culture it was basically the jewish culture ancient near east culture that is not godly culture gospel culture is godly culture so we should be able to we should not say bible says like this they did like this you know that may be their cultural pattern uh, that is not god's word we should be able to uh, differentiate that uh, probably whether he is uh, presupposing i'm suffering maybe because of my sin though it is not mentioned anywhere or he is nowhere confessing his sin if you read the 10 verses nowhere he is confessing his sin uh so probably as he committed sins in ignorance we don't know that because he doesn't even know his sin that's also not there uh maybe he is also like job a righteous man he is suffering for no fault of his so we cannot say that he is suffering because of any evil action or because of any sin uh we can also understand this in a different way that even righteous people they suffer in this world even though their predominant understanding was whenever they suffered it is because of sin probably by reading the psalm we can say even righteous people even without any particular sin they still suffer uh so the psalmist is maybe is telling god do not rebuke me for i am bringing something into your presence because you are a holy god you are an all knowing god this could not happen to me without your knowledge so please don't get angry with me so probably he is saying that uh oh god after all i am a mortal being you are an almighty god how dare i can come and complain to you so do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath uh 
if you have allowed this to happen, since you are an all-knowing God, all-powerful God, all-knowing God, maybe there may be a good reason. So don't get angry with me. Maybe that may be the reason. Uh, but one thing he knows, he needs God's mercy. So he says, have mercy on me. Oh God, whatever may be the reason, please have mercy on me. I have become weak. I am feeble. You know, my bones are in agony. You know, if any of you have gone through uh, bone issues, you will realize how painful it is. Any fracture, anything related to bone, bone, it is, it is painful. So for my bones are in agony means it is unbearable. So he says, have mercy on me. In fact, he says, Lord, your grace alone can save me. You know, he's in such deep pain. He says, my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. You know, he's in such deep pain. He, he doesn't have strength even to speak more words. He can say, how long, Lord? How long? You know, how long must I suffer like this? You know, when can I experience your gracious action, Lord? That's what is crying out in this psalm. That's a cry coming out of his distress in the first three verses. We go to the next part from four to seven. He's asking for deliverance from misery. He's struggling. So he says, first he said, how long, how long? Now he says, turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Now, again, he has gathered little strength and he says, God, you deliver me. You deliver me from my sickness. He's saying, oh Lord, turn. You know, when he was in sickness, because the general understanding was you are suffering, you are sick because of your sickness, because of your sin. So because of your sin, sin, since you are a sinner, God is not with you. So the general mindset those days was if they are if they were sick, that means God had deserted them. They were sinful people, God had deserted them. That is the understanding they had. So he says, oh God, save me because of your unfailing love. Uh, he's saying, save me, oh Lord, because of your unfailing love. Now, why, on what basis he can pray like this, save me because of your unfailing love? What do you think could be the basis 
for praying like this. Save me because of your unfailing love. Anyone would like to answer? Because he has previously experienced God's favor. Yeah, yeah, you are correct. Because he has experienced God's love in the past. He is a recipient of God's love. And that is the reason he says, because you have done in the past, I have experienced your unfailing love. Now, please save me because of your unfailing love. Now, deliverance was requested based on God's unfailing love, loving kindness, the covenant love. You know, we don't pay much attention to the covenant God made, the Abrahamic covenant, you know, Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, and Jesus made the new covenant with us. We don't pay much, but all their prayers were based on those covenant because you have made a covenant with the Israelites. You know, you rescued them from Egypt. You brought them out. You know, it is because of that law. It is not only for the Israelites, for everyone in the community, every individual in the community can experience the same unfailing love of God. And he says, deliver me, not because I am good, not because I'm righteous, because of your loving kindness, because of the covenant love that you have for us. Now, he was almost close to death because of his sickness, because he says, <clears throat> uh, it is who praises you from the grave? That means he's almost on the sick bed. So who praises you from the grave? In other words, it is not only deliver me from my sickness, you also deliver me from death. Uh, death is the ultimate enemy of humankind. Uh, you know, we, we should not take death lightly and we should not be, we should not give counsel like, Oh, now they're in heaven, they're rejoicing. No, uh, that's not a way of counseling people. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, we quote the Bible, but uh, those become meaningless words for the one who's going through the suffering, going to, who's grieving. Uh, Bible gives um, ample opportunities and ample space for grief. Not you go on grieving, but you grieve. So he says, who praises you from the grave? Uh, this is interesting. Uh, it is like, who praises you from the Sheol? That's the kind of language that he's using. Uh, now, we, we are New Testament Christians, and when we read, we don't understand. We need to understand the kind of belief they had. Who praises you from the grave? Uh, you know, he wanted to be delivered from death. Why? Now, Sheol 
was it's when we read the word sheol they never had the understanding of heaven and hell let's be very clear about it now sometimes because we read the new testament we believe that everyone had the same understanding that they knew heaven they knew hell no they never had this understanding they use the word sheol and for them you know sheol is a place there where you exist in a state of semi life you are not fully conscious and you are not fully unconscious you live in a state like that though you are at rest you are not in joy it is it is that kind of a state um, you know but one thing is very clear in sheol you cannot have any relationship with god they they knew this so since they cannot have any relationship with god they always dreaded the very thought of sheol they didn't dread sheol because they have to die and be there because they cannot have any relationship with god and that very thought made them to dread sheol so psalmist is saying if i go to sheol how can i praise you i will have no memory of you uh, in other words memory is not that an abstract in a concrete term you know it is very important uh, for anyone to for for a person to worship uh, you should have memory of god in the sense what god has done for you and you have to use that knowledge in worshiping god that's meaningful worship and here the psalmist is crying who praises you from the grave uh, from the grave that's from the sheol now sheol there was no possibility of relationship with god no experience of blessing or punishment that's why i said they never had a concept of heaven and hell so sheol is not a place of punishment neither it was a place of blessing and there was no hope of new life they never had any idea of resurrection it should be very clear you know we have only in one or two places the very idea of after life in the old testament in the book of isaiah or in the book of psalm very the hint of a after life but it's not very clear uh it is only after jesus came and even when jesus rose again the disciples still did not believe in resurrection you know sadducees and pharisees they were always fighting there's no resurrection so this is the kind of belief they had and so psalmist is saying who will praise you from sheol god if you want to hear my praises if you want to hear the praises of the faithful people you must keep them alive now it's it's almost is bargaining with god he's saying lord if you want to hear you know you have to deliver me so that 
I can worship you expressing my thankfulness for your deliverance. Uh, Psalmist clearly knows God is omnipotent. He is free to act in a way that he wants to act because he's a holy God, but he's also free to deliver him from his present crisis. So he is crying out to God, oh God, you can change my situation. But God is also equally free not to save him. So he says, I want to remember your deliverance. I want to praise you. So deliver me from this deathbed. You know, the way the, he has written this poem, uh, all night long, I flood my bed with weeping. It is like his mattress is just floating in his tears. That's the way poetically he's explaining. That's the way he has been crying. And that's the way he has filled that place. His very mattress is just swimming in his uh, tears. And his lack of sleeplessness is basically because of partly due to pain. When you are in pain, we cannot sleep. And partly because of his inner restlessness. You know, inside, he is not at peace. He's suffering internally, externally, he's suffering. And he also has a sense of separation from God. You know, because he's sick all along, he has been told, you're a sinful man. God is not with you. God has deserted you. That is why you're suffering. So all these factors put together, it makes him sleepless. So he says, my eyes grow weak with sorrow. In verse seven, he says, my eyes grow weak with sorrow. You know, whenever they lost their eyesight, you know, they always felt, you know, it shows a physical decline. Now, that's not the understanding we carry now because of the advancement in the medical world. Uh, but that is the understanding they had. Uh, because if you had a good eyesight, that means you're a strong person. If you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 34, you know, uh, the chapter basically talks about Moses' death. And it says Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. So when he says, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, that is basically to explain. It's another way of saying, physically, I have become weak. I have lost my strength. And it is that grief that is making him cry. Uh, <clears throat> now, most of his enemies are not the way we might think, you know, they have come to kill him, they have come to harm him, may not be. Now, what happens is, because he's, in, he's, he's sick, many of his good friends, they have deserted him. You know, he's struggling. You know, their understanding is, 
he is, he is suffering because of his sinful condition and many of his best friends, good friends, they have just deserted him. Now you can imagine his condition. He is already sick, already suffering, over and above, people who are supposed to be very close, people who are supposed to be some source of strength, they not only desert him, they accuse him. They say, you are suffering. They blame him. You are suffering because of your sinful condition. You know, since we have read, since we know the story of Job, it is typically the way the Job's friend, the Job's friends, they dealt with Job. That's what's happening here. So when that happens, it is not only is physically struggling, emotionally he has become, he is drained out. Now it is from that state, he is making this prayer. Physically, he's in pain. Emotionally, everywhere, people close to him, uh, they're struggling. Now, I remember uh, when I was posted in Siliguri, uh, we visited a, um, a Catholic, uh, it's not basically an orphanage, but they were taking care of children. So we visited there. Uh, the father was taking care of that. So there were many people, young people, people, different age group. And we, we found a pretty girl. Maybe she must be, what, 13, 14 years or 14 years. She was pretty. She was hale and healthy. So we asked her, what happened to you? So she said, I have got some white patches on my body. So because I have white patches, my people in my village, uh, they say I'm untouchable. My family also felt, you know, there's something, you know, I'm, I'm unclean. So my parents came and they dumped me here. Now, can you understand that young girl's pain that is the kind of pain the psalmist was undergoing. People around him, they have deserted him. Now, when we read, we don't bring all these factors into our mind. So we just read it and we struggle to understand. And psalmist is basically, he has come to your place. Um, you know, because he believes in God, he still cries out to God. If he has no faith in God, this is the place where people commit suicide because he has no physical strength, no emotional strength, no inner strength. Um, that's, that's what happens to people. Because he has faith in God, he's crying out to God. And what's interesting is the shift that takes place in this prayer. You know, so far he has been crying. Now you can see a confidence in answered prayer. Away from me, all you who, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. 
the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Okay, you know, the, it's interesting. This, there's such a sudden shift. Maybe this was a psalm they recited in, in the temple. And he, he goes and he cries out. And as he cries out, he heard a word from a priest or he heard a prophetic word and it gave him that strength. So that is why we find that sudden shift from verse seven to verse eight. Um, you know, in, in verse uh, seven, he says, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, they fail because of all my foes. And in verse eight, he says, away from me, all you who do evil. It's a very interesting uh, shift that's taking place. If you read Hannah's prayer and what the priest Eli told her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of, asked of him. Something that like that could have happened. We are not sure but we can presume something like that has happened. So he says, away from me, all you who do evil. The evil people are not the way we understand evil. And basically it's his friends who have deserted him. Uh, when his sorrow was at its peak and added, you know, when his physical pain was at its peak, and added to that his friends, you know, for the kind of um, accusations they level against him, but they deserted him, you know, he, he didn't have that kind of strength. His faith became weak. But when, when, when there is confidence, when faith and confidence, you know, they surpass suffering and hopelessness, then we'll be able to say like this. You know, for the Lord has heard my weeping. That's interesting as he's praying. And there is, there is interesting, what's interesting is the Lord, uh, you know, when there is confidence in God, no human being can activate anxiety. In other words, when our confidence in God is stronger, people around us cannot make us anxious. When our confidence in God is not stronger, people around us will overwhelm us, will make us more anxious. Uh, so in verse nine, he says, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. It's interesting that we read, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. Lord has already heard my prayer. The Lord accepts my prayer. You know, nowhere he says, the Lord has given him deliverance. The Lord has heard, it is in the past tense. The Lord accepts my prayer, my deliverance will come in the future. 
His deliverance has not yet come, but he is very clear. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. Though my deliverance will come in the future, you know, but he has that inner strength. Uh, so uh, the psalmist's faith surpassed the reality of any change in his physical condition. His faith became stronger. His situation did not change, but his faith become, became stronger. So that's why he says, all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. All those people who deserted me, who made fun of me, they will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Uh, he says, God will answer his prayer, but he has found that new strength in God. Uh, here he's not talking about the enemies will be defeated or the enemies will be destroyed. He, he's only saying they'll be ashamed, they'll be discouraged, and they'll be made to withdraw all that they spoke against me. They'll feel, they'll feel ashamed of what they have done. Uh, this is what we see in this psalm. Uh, if you have any questions, you can unmute. Uh, what, what have you learned? The insight that we have gained from this uh, psalm. Uh, I was telling, uh, I was mentioning earlier that we should not take uh, death lightly. Jesus himself, the son of man, the son of God, he said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. In fact, even the son of God was threatened at the uh, thinking about death. We are not having next Friday. Oh, we will have this Friday. We'll have the uh, Lenten series. Last session we'll have on this Friday.